If you have your Bibles, I invite you to take them out this morning and turn to the book of Ecclesiastes once again. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, and we'll begin in verse 15 this morning. I'll read 15 through 29 in just a minute. I will see the title of the sermon this morning is uh, Looking for Love. Uh, this is from a uh, very popular movie from 1980, Urban Cowboy. I was talking to Patty, uh, our secretary, this week, and she said, I don't know why they made that movie. It was completely pointless. And I said, well, I haven't seen it. I don't know anything about it. But I know the song, Looking for Love in All the Wrong Places, and you know it as well. Now, it's a popular song. It was a popular song in 1980 and through the 80s. Uh, and, uh, and it was uh, enjoyed and, uh, some success on the charts, but as a lot of popular things enjoy success with the, with the people, they get maligned by the critics. And the critics said that this song was silly, it was trite, it was simplistic, and it was an example of all the things that were bad with country music of that day. Because even back then, they said country music was giving itself over to this new idea, and they're not like the good old country songs. But the thing that, that, uh, the thing that, that I think about a lot of times when I think about popular songs is that um, even though they might be simplistic and trite, uh, and even though they, the, the critics might be right about what they're like, the reality is, is that most popular songs are trying to tap into something universal, a universal feeling or a universal experience. Uh, that really gets into kind of humankind's deepest longings. And you see that in this song, Looking for Love. Because it's about a man who's looking for love in all the wrong places. He's looking for love in strangers' faces and all of these sorts of things. And there's this search deep down for this, for this man for what all of us want. We all want love. We all want meaning. We all want purpose. And ultimately, in this song, where does he find it? He finds it in someone who really was a true friend and someone who he could really connect with. And I think that really taps into something that we all deeply want. And we are all looking for love. We're all looking for meaning and looking for purpose. And Solomon today in this passage is going to show us that there is a search for love and a search for meaning that oftentimes we will go looking for it in all the wrong places. Now, some wisdom literature, as we've seen, is about what we should be doing in light of the covenant that God has made with his people and how we should be living our lives. And I think this passage, in many ways, is what we should not be doing. And he gives us three places that people tend to look for love, and they're the wrong places we should be looking. So let me pray for, or I'll read this, and then I'll pray for us and ask for the Lord to help us understand his words. So let me read this. Again, chapter 7, verse 15 of Ecclesiastes. In my vain life, I have seen everything. There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness, and there is a wicked man who prolongs his life in evil doing. Be not overly righteous, and do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Be not overly wicked, neither be a fool. Why should you die before your time? It is good that you should take hold of this, and from that withhold not your hand, for the one who fears God shall come out from both of them. Wisdom gives strength to the wise man more than ten rulers who are in a city. Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. Do not take to heart all the things that people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. Your heart knows that many times you have yourself cursed others. All this I have tested by wisdom. I said I will be wise, but it was far from me. That which has been is far off and deep, very deep. Who can find it out? 
I turn my heart to know and to search out and to seek wisdom in the schemes of things and to know the wickedness of folly and the foolishness that is madness. And I find something more bitter than death, the woman whose heart is snares and nets, whose hands are fetters. He who pleases God escapes her, but the sinner is taken by her. Behold, this is what I found, says the preacher, while adding one thing to another to find the scheme of things, which my soul has sought repeatedly, but I have not found. One man among a thousand I found, but a woman among thee, all these I have not found. See this, see, this alone I found, that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let's pray and ask for his help in understanding his word. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for giving us this word today, and we pray that you would help us to understand it as we see uh, we would need to see Christ from this passage. And Father, I pray that you would help me to preach this passage and preach Christ and the good news of Jesus, that you would encourage us not to look for love in all the wrong places, but would find it only in Jesus Christ. And I pray these things in his name. Amen. So I want to look at this passage in three ways. In uh, verses 15 through 18, first of all, we see that there is a search for love or meaning in morality, a search for love or meaning in morality in verses 15 through 18. And what Solomon does is he begins with a problem, and it's an unusual problem. It's an unexpected problem for us, and it's the problem of being righteous. I don't know if you had that experience in reading through this. Maybe you went, wait, what? What does he say here? He says in verse 16, be not overly righteous and do not make yourself too wise. You know, this is the Bible. The Bible is all about righteousness, isn't it? So why is he saying, don't be too righteous? Well, he says, don't be too righteous. We'll get to what that means in a minute. But he says, because, well, the good die young. That's from, again, Billy Joel's famous song, Only the Good Die Young. And he's right. He said, you know, the good die young. Why would I want to be good? I'm going to be bad because the bad prolong their life. And that's what Solomon says. There is this constant and consistent theme throughout the scriptures. As a matter of fact, you probably can't open to one of the Psalms without reading about the wicked prospering and the righteous suffering. That is a consistent theme throughout all of the scriptures, but in the Psalms especially. So Solomon says, don't be overly righteous because it doesn't do you any good. Now, what does he mean by that? Does he, does he mean you should... Um, you should be bad. Does he mean that you, sh you know, that you should just pursue wickedness? We'll, we'll get to that in a minute. No, that's not what he means. Uh, what you find in this is a, is a common moral philosophy that is found in Job's friends. Of course, Job lost his, uh, his children. He lost his wealth. He lost his health. And his three friends come to give him comfort. And they sit with him for a week. And all was fine and good until they decided to open their mouth. And then whenever they started talking, all sorts of terrible stuff came out. And it primarily was this. Their moral philosophy was, well, the good people in the world don't suffer, but the bad people do suffer. So, Job, you must have been bad. And, of course, we know that Job wasn't bad. He was called a righteous man in his generation. He was blameless before God. That doesn't mean he was perfect, but it means he was righteous and good. And what Job says over and over to his friends is, no, I'm not suffering because I did anything wrong. I'm suffering for some reason that I don't know why. And that's what the story or the book of Job is all about. And so here is that common moral philosophy that people would say that if you do good, if you're righteous, 
If you work really hard to be moral and good, then God will bless you. Then God is going to take care of you and you're not going to have any suffering in this life. And you find this all over the place in the evangelical church. I would say you find this kind of deep down in each one of our hearts, which is a dangerous place for it to be. And that's why we need to have this exposed and brought, brought out. Uh, you find this in, um, in just about every evangelical parenting book that's ever been written. That if you just train up your child in the way that he shall go when he is old, he will not depart from it. Okay? And many parents take that to believe that if I do everything right as a parent then everything's going to be okay and my kids are going to turn out okay and, and, everything's going to, and, and they're, going to, they're going to be Christians and uh, they're going to be successful and I don't have to worry about them well. That's not what that verse is about. Uh, and there's uh, some other things that we need to talk about with that, but I don't have time to get into it. But essentially it says there's a formula for morality that if I just do X, then God is going to give me a good life. And Solomon says, no, that doesn't work. Because your goodness and your self-righteousness can't earn God's favor. You can't do enough to make God bless you. And so he says, well, don't, don't try to be more righteous than God expects of you. That's what the Pharisees did. That's why Jesus was so angry at the Pharisees, because they were trying to be good apart from the righteousness that only God could give them. So, so Solomon says, don't be overly righteous. Don't be self-righteous. Don't think that by your doing good, God is going to bless you. So, don't pursue extra righteousness. Don't make artificial boundaries around the law of God and think that because you're super righteous or super good that God is going to bless you. But then he says there's also a problem of being wicked. It's not as though, well, okay, I'm just not going to be righteous, therefore I'm going to be wicked. No, he says, no, that's not going to work as well. Uh, again, in Billy Joel's song, you might as well laugh with the sinners than cry with the saints. You know, that whole idea, because the sinners have much more fun. Well, uh, no, Solomon says that's equally as wrong because the wicked, although they might prosper for a time, there's all sorts of other things that come out of that. And you see the wicked prospering and they, they enjoy their lives, and they amass for themselves lots of wealth, but they also amass for themselves lots of loneliness, lots of problems, addictions, and all sorts of problems that come from the life of wickedness. And he says those things don't really work. Those things don't really get you what you, what you need. So don't be overly righteous, and don't be overly wicked. Don't be like the prodigal son that says, you know, Dad, give me what is mine before you're dead, and I'm going to go live my life on loose women and loose spending and looseness. Because what ends up happening, you end up in the pig's pit. Solomon says both of those two things, either being overly righteous or overly wicked, are wrong. So don't pursue those things. And then at the very end of this section, he gives us the way out of falling into both of those ditches of being overly righteous or, or self-righteous and overly wicked. He says, Here, here's what you need to do. It is good that you should take hold of this, and from that withhold not your hand, for the one who fears God shall come out from both of them. Your focus should not be on your morality and what you're doing to make God happy, or your focus should not be on your immorality or what you're doing to, to shun the law of God. Your focus needs to be on God himself, on the fear of the Lord, on being in awe of his son, Jesus Christ, and all that he is. 
And Solomon says that's the way to avoid both of these things. And what do you get if your focus is on Christ? You get the right amount of righteousness. And then I also want to say, well, you get the right amount of wickedness? Well, no, you don't get the right amount of wickedness. You get the right amount of what God wants for you to have, which is the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. And then you know what you have because you have freedom in Christ? You have fun. You have enjoyment in life. Instead of expecting your family or your kids or your husband or your job or any of those things to give you meaning and purpose, you actually find it in Jesus. And so you can enjoy your spouse and your kids and your job and all of the things that the Lord has given you. So there's the answer, Solomon says. Don't be overly righteous in yourself. Don't be overly wicked. But, but look to God. Fear God. Trust in him. That's the first thing that we see. Secondly, we see a person who is looking for love and reputation. Looking for love and reputation in verses 19 through 22. He begins in sort of a weird way. He says, wisdom gives strength to the wise man more than ten rulers who are in a city. And he's talking about the benefit of wisdom. And he says, wisdom makes you strong. Maybe not strong in military might as rulers in a city might have, but strong in a much better way. And he explains that way as you go forward here, looking at verse 20. It gives you wisdom to understand the heart of man. Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. What true wisdom and what godly wisdom does, it allows you to think rightly about God and about man. And so in this passage, we actually have this wonderful and beautiful doctrine the doctrine of total depravity. This is not just a New Testament doctrine that the Apostle Paul made up. This goes all throughout the Scriptures. And here you have from Solomon, the, the, the wisest man that ever lived, that says, Surely there is not a righteous man on earth that does good and never sins. He gets down to the heart of the matter. And he says, This is what real wisdom does. It evaluates the heart rightly. And he says, You know, ultimately, in this, through this passage, you can't earn the favor of God because you are a sinner. You deserve nothing but the wrath of God. And true wisdom understands that you can't work enough, as he just said, to earn the favor of God. But wisdom allows you to know what's not just in the hearts of mankind, but what's in the heart of, uh, of uh, your heart as well. You know, companies will do this thing. And I remember maybe about 2005 when I was first taken in by one of these, and it was a press release. I was reading an article that, I, that was giving a glowing kind of uh, uh, um, appraisal of this company, and I was reading through it going, man, this company is really, really great. But I had not read the very first part of it where it talked about you know, the, that this is a press release from the company. Companies will do this. They will put out press releases. They will, they will take out advertising space and write a letter about how great their company are. Their, their company is because they want to trick you into thinking that some third party thinks their company is great and therefore you need to listen to this company as well. Well, companies do that. Well, we do that as well. Every single day we wake up, we are putting out our own personal press release. We are wanting people to see the best side of who we are. And even though we may not be writing these things out, we are trying to make ourselves look as good as possible so that people will think well of us. I had a pastor in college who said and reminded us often, don't believe your own press release about yourself. <laughs> don't believe what you want people to believe about yourself. 
you need to understand and real wisdom understands not just what another person's heart is like, but what your own heart is like as well. And what is your own heart like? Well, your heart is wicked. So he says this in verse 21, Do not take to heart all the things that people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. And you can imagine Solomon as this extremely wealthy man who had servants surrounding him at all times, and they would come to him, and they were very appreciative, and, and they, would, they, they would just butter him up and talk about how wonderful he was and, and all of those sorts of things. And, and maybe he began to believe that he really was just that wonderful. And then one day he kind of went down into the kitchen area and he was walking past the pantry and there were his servants just really letting them have it. You can imagine Solomon for that moment getting so angry that these servants who just the day before were talking about how wonderful he was now letting him have it. Then he stops for a moment and he says, well, wait a second. The problem isn't that they're cursing me because they really understand what I'm like and what my heart is like. The problem is that I believed them when they were praising me. Uh, you know, because college football really kicked off yesterday, I'll use a Lou, Lou Holtz quote. Lou Holtz said, don't believe everything they say whenever you win and don't believe you're as bad as you are whenever you lose, what, what they say whenever you lose, right? So wisdom allows you to take rightly what people say about you. You can accept the praise with humility, but you can also accept the criticism with grace. And that's what Solomon says. Don't take to heart everything that people say about you, whether good or bad, because you know your heart. What is your heart like? Your heart knows that many times you have cursed others as well. Your heart is just as full of bitterness and cursing as any servant's heart is. It's deceitful. Know your heart. I had a friend uh, who, whenever he preached this passage, he said, it's, it's like this. He was a, he's a hunter. He says, you can go to these stores and you can get all sorts of supplies for hunting. And one of the main things that, that they will sell hunters is this scent that you can put on yourself to disguise what you really smell like. And what's funny to me is that, and I'm not a hunter, as you, most of you know, uh, that people will go hunting and will cover themselves in the foulest of smells, like willingly. They want to smell terrible. And they want to smell like like a deer would smell whenever it urinates all over itself. And so they take this stuff and they spread it on themselves to cover up what they naturally smell like. And my friend says, it doesn't matter what you put on your body to cover your scent because a deer knows what you're like. And if you stand downwind from a deer, he will smell you. So my friend says, you need to stand downwind from yourself to see what you really smell like. Understand and judge yourself rightly. Know what your heart is like. Know where all of the different places where you stink and you smell really are so that Jesus Christ will come and deal with those places. So Solomon says, smell yourself. Know what your heart is like. Get down to the very root of who you are. And if you see just how wicked you are and how much God has been gracious to you, won't you want to be gracious to others. So don't look for love and reputation. And then finally, don't look for love and understanding, verses 23 through 29. Uh, you see here where Solomon once again talks about he turns his, his heart to understand things. He, he applies himself fully to this whole idea of wisdom to try to figure things out. Uh, and, I, and I love this. Three times in verses 25 through 29, he says, I, I sought wisdom in order to understand the scheme of things, to understand 
How Stuff Works. There's a TV show that I like called How Stuff is Made, or, or How It's Made. And, and it basically just goes behind the scenes of factories and all of this stuff that shows you exactly how things like, like uh, um, uh, what are they called? Um, donuts would be made, Krispy Kreme donuts, or, or how you know, cars would be made, or, or really anything that could be manufactured. It goes behind the scenes. And Twinkies, that's when I was thinking, you know, how do they get the stuff on the inside of the Twinkie and all that? I love that because it shows you how it's made. And, and Solomon says, you know what I did? I tried to figure out exactly how things work in the world. I tried to get out there. And you know what I find, found? Well, I didn't find that there were cameras that let me into the factory of, of man's heart to help me understand what things were like. And, and I really could not get down deep enough to understand why all of these things happen. Not even the wisest man could figure out the whys of life. There's going to be more questions then we have answers. But you know what he did find in verse 26? He says, I found something more bitter than death. And he talks about this woman that he found. Well, in wisdom literature, the woman, uh, and you can see this in the book of Proverbs very clearly, that there are two types of women that are described in Proverbs. One woman is, woman, is lady folly, and the other woman is lady wisdom. And what we are to do is we are to pursue lady wisdom and not lady folly. But Lady Folly, is she sets a snare for men. She seduces them. She tries to entrap them. And Solomon says, you know, that's what folly is, and that's what this woman is like. You know, the fool falls into the grasp of this woman. He says, and that is what is, is, what is happening because men don't know their hearts, and they don't know what, what, it's, what their hearts are really like. And the only one who escapes this is the one who pleases God and the or the one with whom God is pleased. And he says it's nearly impossible to find someone who doesn't fall under the grips of Lady Folly. And he says that's what I think he means here when he says, um, which my soul has sought, verse 28, but I have not found one man among a thousand I have found, but a woman among all of these I have not found. And I think what he's saying there is using the, the number a thousand as a number that explains like a massive number of people. And he says, out of all of the people in the world, you can barely find anyone who doesn't fall under the grips of folly. And so, what do you do? Well, he says at the very end, God made man upright, but men have sought many schemes. Men have sought to put themselves back under the, the lady folly. How do you escape all of those things? What, do you, what should we learn from this? Well, there are some foolish things in this world that we need to be aware of. I would say it's the foolishness of utopian ideas, uh, whether of, of a progressive stripe or of a conservative one. And as much as you might loathe uh, liberal progressivism and cultural Marxism, as I do, um, you know, because they seek utopianism in this world and heaven on earth in this world, I think there's a, a conservative strain as well that we need to be aware of. We are not going to figure out the problems and the ills of this world, and we will not fix them by simply applying our wisdom and understanding to them. They're too much for us. So conservatives and progressives are not going to be the saviors of the world, and we, not can, we need to not put our hope in political parties, in political people, or any of these ideals. Every generation, it seems like, goes through this, and they think they figured it out, and they have the wisdom over and over and over every generation that's ever lived. We have it figured out how to bring heaven down onto earth, and over and over they make foolish decisions. 
we need to avoid both of those things because it's not in the amount of understanding, education, or even wisdom we have that we will find love or meaning. So let me conclude this in this way. Is there any hope for you? Can you find love in this world? Can you find meaning? Well, yes. You have to stop looking for love in all the wrong places. Where are you going to find meaning, love, hope in this world? Well, you're not going to find it under the sun. And over and over, this, you know, the book of, of Ecclesiastes repeats that. Under the sun, I've seen these things. Under the sun, under the sun, under the sun. That as men and women go about their lives looking for meaning and hope in this world, they live under the sun and it's vapor. It's meaningless. It's fruitful. Where can we find it? We don't find it under the sun, but we find it in the Son of God, in Jesus Christ. Our lives are meant to be for Him, to Him, about Him. Not about ourselves, not about our searching for us and pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps or any of those things. We find hope and meaning in Jesus Christ. Zechariah 3 is a very uh, uh, vivid picture for us of this very thing. That um, In that Old Testament book, you have Joshua the high priest as a vision is given to Zechariah. And he is standing in the Holy of Holies, the holiest place. He is standing before Yahweh in his glory, covered in filthy rags, covered in what we're told is human excrement. He's covered in his own filth. Now, he smells and he stinks. And he is standing before a holy God in the holiest place that there is, God who cannot look upon sin without striking out in wrath against it. And there is Satan next to Joshua the high priest saying, God, he stinks. He's filthy. He has he is so much unrighteousness and sin inside of him that it's coming out onto his clothing. Strike him dead. Strike him dead. Strike him dead. And God says, silence, that's enough. He says, take off his filthy robes. And then he gives Joshua the robe of righteousness. That's the picture for us. See, we're stinky and filthy in ourselves. We are covered in our own filth, the filth of our sin. And we don't seek meaning in life by trying to clean ourselves up and cover ourselves, but we seek meaning in this life by going to the only one who can really cleanse us, and that's Jesus Christ. And today we have a wonderful opportunity to celebrate that as we are invited to the Lord's table. It's a reminder to us that we don't cover ourselves, but God covers us in the righteous robes of Jesus Christ, in his goodness, and his righteousness. And there's only, you know, R.C. Sproul has this quote, um, you know, asking the question, why do good things happen to bad people? He said that only happened once, and he volunteered. It's a good reminder to us. Know your heart. You're evil. You're a sinner before God. But by his grace and mercy, he has invited us to his table because he's covered us. He's covered our filth with his righteousness. He has cleaned us up. And he says, come. Let's pray and ask, or let's thank him for doing this. And we'll prepare the table for our meal. Father, we thank you for giving us this message today. We pray that you would help us to not look for love in all the wrong places, but that we would find it in Jesus Christ. Lord, you know our hearts. You know that we do not know our hearts enough. So, Father, I pray that you would help us to see our sin so that we can see Christ and his sacrifice for us more clearly. We thank you for giving us this meal and for the encouragement that it is to us and how it strengthens us. 
And I pray that you would help us as we observe it, uh, to do, for it to do all that you have promised for it to do. And we pray these things in Christ's name.